Uh, yeah, so we're starting a new study tonight. Uh, we're starting a new study called Voices. Who are you listening to? And uh, so we're going to go through over the next several weeks just some, uh, we're going to identify some of the voices that have control in our thoughts and our minds that we give control to. Uh, you may have heard it referred to as the inner voice or, um, you know, and we'll use thoughts and inner voice interchangeably tonight. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, what those voices say, and uh, we're going to talk about over the next several weeks how God can redeem those and what we can do to control those. And uh, we'll uncover some things that maybe you didn't know about yourself, but I'm really excited about what God has in store for us as we do go through this new study. Uh, it's been really, really, really good already as I've been preparing for and praying through this with uh, Pastor Tony. And so uh, we'll continue on our study for the next several weeks to learn the different aspects of that. So let's pray uh, and we'll get started tonight and see what God has in store for us. <coughs> God, we bow before you tonight and uh, Lord, we know God, that you created us with amazing capacities in our brain. God, in our mind, that you have given us the ability to remember things, to learn things. Uh, God, to use, uh, the human mind has been used to accomplish some incredible, incredible feats. And God, we also know that oftentimes that we can get in our own heads, so to speak, that we can convince ourselves of things that aren't true, that we, we can be influenced and persuaded uh, by voices that are within, uh, God, that do not lead us to you or to lead us, that do not lead us to where you want us to be. And so, God, I just pray for each and every person, uh, God, that both is here and will hear this online, God, that, uh, Lord, that you would help us to be free from the condemnation, that you would help us to be free from uh, the influence of these voices that so work so mightily to control us, and God, that we would be under the lordship and the submission of Jesus Christ, and that our mind would be led by the Spirit of God, that we would, as Philippians 2 says, have the mind of Christ. And we know that is not possible without your help. And so, God, tonight we pray that you'd give us ears to hear the things that you'd have for us to hear. God, that you would give us eyes to see. God, what you would have in store for us to see, Lord, and most of all, God, that you would give us faith and courage, Lord, to change based on what you have revealed to us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Voices. So if we were to say, hey, does anyone hear voices in their mind, and you raised your hand, uh, we might have some psychologists or psychiatrists make a lot of appointments, right? We'd say, hey, wait a minute. We, uh, we got voices, you need to see somebody. And so uh, we're not talking about audible voices tonight. What we're actually talking about in this series is that inner voice, if you will, that makes recommendations to you or uh, often talks to you about yourself. In cartoons, it's depicted as uh, oftentimes the little angel on one shoulder and maybe the devil with pitchforks on the other shoulder. You've seen that before, I'm sure. Uh, where you've got one voice telling you to do one thing, and you've got another voice telling you to do another thing. Paul put it this way, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. So for the sake of psychology, would anybody agree with that? That sometimes you don't do what you want to do, right? And then sometimes you absolutely do what you said you wouldn't do. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that you, you are convinced or persuaded by things in your own mind. And so in your own heart and in your own mind, you have these things uh, that you hear, most specifically voices and or thoughts, and they lead you to doing what you don't want to do. And so that's what this study is based upon, is to help us to identify those. So we're going to talk, and, and I'll explain more towards the end what the next few weeks hold. Uh, we're going to talk about different aspects of that and what that looks like. And uh, we're going to jump into some really exciting things. I think it'll certainly be helpful for you. Michael and Ryan, do y'all mind closing those back doors? Thank you. Yeah, so tonight as we get started, uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to start out talking about what that looks like. And so we're going to build some context around uh, what this specifically looks like for us. So the most powerful thing that God has gifted you with is your mind. 
God has gifted you with an amazing, amazing ability called a brain. And your mind has unlimited capacity. I was reading this week as I was studying, and uh, I was reading where I believe it said that the brain's storage space is like 2.5 million gigabytes. Does anybody have a 2.5 million gigabyte computer at home? You would pay a lot for that if you did. You know, most of us, I have a thumb drive in my pocket, and it's uh, 16 gigs, I think. And so our brains can hold 2.5 million gigabytes. That's a lot of information. And if you think about it, uh, the brain is on display, the mind is on display in many different ways. If, if y'all remember, uh, remember a few years ago uh, when little Jace Lopez got up here and quoted the entire, uh, was it second or third John? He got, I think it was third John, he got up and quoted the entire book of third John. That's fascinating. And you say, well, I could never do that. Well, you could, you just have to commit to doing it. You see, the brain has the ability to do whatever it wants. Think about what happened in your life. Think about all the memories that your brain houses. Now, I'm 42 years old, and so my brain has 42 years worth of memories in it. And all the things that have happened to me and all the thoughts and all the years and all the activities, all of that is housed within my brain. And, you know, people that are smarter than me say that most of us are able to recall those things that happen in our life. So I want you to, let's just do a little exercise uh, tonight. What is the earliest memory that you have as a child? Was it a 10-year-old? Was it a 5-year-old? Right? Most of our memories start around 4 or 5, somewhere in there. And so we've got all these memories that take place. Now, if I have a memory from when I was 5, well, that's 37 years ago that I had that information stored in my brain that I'm still able to have the ability to recall. So the other side of that is that not, is it on, not only is it positive you know, and amazing that we can recall these things, but it is also sometimes can be very damaging. Think about the things that people say to you that are hurtful. Things that we harbor in our own hearts and our minds that we carry year over year over decade over decade of things that were said to us. And for a lot of people, it shapes identity. Pastor Tony's been talking a lot about identity uh, on Sunday mornings in 1 Corinthians. And so what happens is when someone says something to us, words that are spoken. I remember words from many, 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 many years ago. And these words that are spoken oftentimes shape the direction of our life or they, they shape the identity that ultimately shapes the direction of our life. So words that were heard for, for hurtful, words that were helpful, things that maybe somebody said that launched you in life, that encouraged you, that changed the direction of the path of your life. And so we would all agree tonight that the mind is an amazing, amazing thing, and the way that God has gifted us to be able to use that can certainly be astonishing sometimes. As a matter of fact, as you study the brain there are over 100 billion nerves in your brain. 100 billion. That's a lot. And so the way that God has constructed us and the way that God has built us is that we would use our brain to honor and to glorify Him. Now, when we think about our thoughts, you ever had a, a question and you say, now wait a minute, I know the answer to this. Well, that means that your brain is not it's not moving very fast. You see, the average speed, the slowest speed of the average thought in your mind is 260 miles an hour. So you have thoughts zipping around in your brain. The slowest one is moving at 260 miles an hour. Now, I'm grateful that some thoughts are moving quicker than others, right? That when I touch a hot stove, my brain says, you may want to move your finger ASAP, right? That's probably a little faster than 260 miles an hour. But just, again, just I'm going to give you a couple of facts to think about the amazing capacity that your brain has. And so God has gifted us with the ability that is far beyond comprehension. You see, with all of this power that is available, it is no wonder that the stakes are so high for control of your mind. Think about the, if it was a supercomputer... And it was the world's greatest, and it would, if it was a computer, it would be the world's greatest supercomputer, and you possessed it, guess what? There would be people lined up, countries lined up to say, hey, we'll give you $20 million for that. We'll give you $30 million. We'll give you $100 million for that. 
The stakes would be very high if you had the unlimited capacity of what the brain can do in the form of an object or of a computer. And so the stakes for your mind are very, very high. You see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy everything in your life. That's what the Bible says in John chapter 10. The Bible says in 1 Peter that the enemy, uh, the enemy uh, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. His number one goal is to destroy you. And the number one way that he begins to do that is through your mind. He wants to do everything that he can to convince you that you're not good enough, that God doesn't love you, that there's no way that you could ever do anything great for the kingdom of God. And there is a, an incessant barrage of thoughts that come at you every single day to convince you of those things from many different angles and many different ways that it's communicated. Right? We would all agree with that. So how in the world do we dif uh, differentiate? How do we decide between... Well, is this God that's speaking to me? Or is this the inner voice or the enemy that is trying to derail me and send me uh, astray? Well, we're going to answer that question tonight. You will know how to tell the difference between the enemy and between God's voice tonight. We're going to talk about that. You see, thoughts are like seeds. They have a natural tendency to grow. They also have a natural tendency to get and become very powerful and manifest in your life if you feed them and you give attention to them, and you allow them to grow. So think about any thought that you have. So I'll just give you an example. I decided that I wanted to build some Adirondack chairs in my house. And so I uh, thought about, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to build an Adirondack chair? What, are the, what do Adirondacks look like? Well, who's built one? So I called somebody who built one and said, hey, I know you built one. Can you help me build one? And so we got a plan together and we got a design together. And we envisioned what that would look like. And I committed time to getting materials and committed time to getting tools and committed time to uh, building it this last weekend. I committed thoughts, right? And so the thought was, hey, I think I want a chair in my backyard. And so what I began to do is I began to put action to those thoughts. The same thing happens with every single thought for you that you commit time to. And so what's happened in our world is we've become so distracted with all the noise that's coming into us that these thoughts are constantly barraging us in different ways and in different manners. And in essence, it's really kind of the same thing, but we're committing more time to them. And what we're doing is we're allowing them to have power in our life. Don't believe me? Well, thoughts can often convince you of what you can and what you can't do. Now, don't get me wrong. There are human limitations. There are human limitations. And a lot of our limitation is in believing the own lies within our mind. Or that you'll never measure up. That you can never do that. You know, growing up in legalism is you'll never be perfect. Well, I want to be perfect. Legalism tells me that I have to be perfect. And so there's this one side that says that I've got to be perfect. And then there's this other side that tells me I'll never be perfect. And so you can imagine the dissatisfaction that exists for a legalist, right? It's the same thing for you in anything that you say that you can't do. If you decide that you can't do it in sports, you know, if you've got a, a child in sports and they say, oh, we're playing this really hard team tomorrow, we're going to lose. What does a good coach say? Well, you've already lost before you get there, if that's the attitude that you take into the game. And so when we go up against the enemy with our thought life and we say, well, there's no way that I can overcome that, well, you've already lost. You've already given in to what the enemy's ultimate objective is, and that is to defeat you. And so our thoughts often convince us of the things that we're capable of doing or that we're incapable of doing. Now, let me ask you a question to prove the point. What is it in your life for God that you can't do? Now, if we were being honest, a lot of people would give an answer to that. Oh, well, I, I can't do this, or God would never use me to be a preacher, or God would never call me to be a missionary, or God would never use me to reach my neighbor, or God would never use me to reach my family member. But is that true? What did Mary say? Didn't Mary say that with God, all things are possible? But our mind convinces us that, well, you know, I'm, I'm disqualified. I can't do that. I, I made a mistake. Or, no, I don't, I'm not talented enough. And we've been reading through Exodus with uh, D group. And over and over and over, Moses was like, I, God, I can't do it. I'm not a good speaker. Oh, no problem. I'll send Aaron with you. Yeah, but God, I can't do it. The people won't follow me. No problem. I'll show miracles. Oh, but God, you know, over and over and over, right? 
We're always saying, God, here's what I can do. God, here's what I can't do. And we're, we're limiting the things that God can do by our own thoughts. You see, these thoughts and voices in our mind have unimaginable power. They have unimaginable power. And so what we have to do is we have to be careful about the attention that we give to these thoughts because if we do, we will give control to them. You see, all of us give over a certain amount of control to our thoughts. And we entertain those thoughts. James says that when we have a thought, it starts as a desire. And if we sit on that desire, then it can turn into a, a, a plan, an action, a course of action to where we ultimately commit the sin. That's how every sin in your life begins is with a thought. Well, what if I did that? Think about the Garden of Eden. Eve's sin was not in thinking about eating the, the fruit. Eve's sin was in disobeying by actually eating the fruit. But where did it start? It started with, well, did God really say that? And then she began to ponder, did God say that? Well, maybe he didn't mean that. And so then she began to interpret what she thought God said based on what? Based on her own mind. Did God say? So she's trying to recall a memory of what does that, what, when Adam told me that, what exactly did he say? And so we give power, we give control to them. And so our interest and our attention and our enthusiasm is, is what makes our thoughts and these voices inside powerful. You see, if you show a lack of interest to a certain thought, it will not gain any strength and it will have no power in your life. But if you, if you give it attention, if you give it interest, if you start giving thought to that, well, then that's going to change things. You see, there's a strong correlation between one's thoughts and one's life conditions. There's a strong correlation to that. If you say in your mind, if you believe the thoughts, the self-defeating thoughts in your own mind, then your life will be reflective of that. If you believe that you can do anything, you know, uh, Tony, Pastor Tony talks a lot about uh, our church, and, and he makes the comment oftentimes that our church is a place where you can dream. You heard that before, right? This is a place where you can dream that if God calls you to start a ministry and God provides a way for that to happen, you know what? We're behind you. We want to support that. We want to be able to do whatever it is that God calls us to do. We're not going to pigeonhole God, put God in a box and say, well, God can't do that. God can't uh, raise up 100 families to be foster parents. God, God can't do that, but yet he did that infinitely above, right? God could never use us to reach unreached villages in Brazil, and yet God sends team after team. God could never reach us to uh, use us to reach uh, teams in the Dominican Republic or use us to, uh, to reach teams wherever God may carry us, right? We could easily sit back and say, well, you know, we can't do that because of this virus thing. Oh, we, we can't be a part of the community. We can't bless people because God, you know, it's just too many excuses, right? It's an easy time. Today more than ever, it is the easiest time in your life so far to make an excuse. All you have to say is, well, it was the virus. Or, you know what, I can't get off because I was off a lot last year. Oh, I know I can't do that. And so there's this built-in excuse for us to say, well, God can't do it because of, and we state some man event that's taking place. <clears throat> we give thought to that. And our thoughts create <clears throat> our life conditions. There's an old saying, and I'm not going to try to butcher it because I can't speak Latin, but it was coined by the French philosopher René Descartes, and it is, I think, therefore I am. If you study philosophy or ethics in college, you've studied some of this. And, and basically, this was written to dispute the self-doubt of our own reality. You see, what's happened in your life and in mine is we've all crafted this self-identity in our lives, and it has, in many cases, no reality whatsoever. You've convinced yourself of things that aren't true in your life, and you've built a life around that because of the voices that have taken place in your mind. Don't believe me? Listen to some of the modern songs today. This last couple of weeks, I've, you know, just hearing music again and listening to things have been, as this has been rattling around in my heart and my brain, and all of the, you, wouldn't, you would be shocked at the number of songs that talk about this. The most popular today, I would say, is uh, you Say by Lauren Daigle. Ever heard this song? This is what the lyrics say. I keep fighting voices in my mind that say I'm not enough. 
every single lie that tells me I will never measure up. Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low? Remind me once again just who I am because I need to know. Word for word, those are the lyrics to the song today. This is what the chorus says. You say that I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I'm held when I'm falling short. And when I don't belong, you say that I am yours and I believe. The the last part of that song says, The only thing that matters now is everything that you think of me. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. That's a modern day song today. And there's a lot of them just like it. If you listen uh, to contemporary Christian music, you're going to hear a lot of songs talk about Songs that say, well, I'll never measure up. Uh, Torn Wells has a song, when my mind tells me I'm not good enough, God, you're enough for me. That's That's the exact lyrics of that song. There's tons of these songs that talk about all of these voices. So we're not the only ones that are talking about this. Modern Christianity today and contemporary music is writing songs. God is communicating a message that, guess what? What you're hearing in your mind is not the sum of who you are. What other people say about you, the voices that you hear inside of your own mind and heart that you think identify you are not who God says that you are. We've been spending an immense amount of time over the last few weeks in 1 Corinthians talking about what? The same thing, about identity, that God loves you in spite of the things that you've done, that all of the mistakes that you've made do not define who you are in Jesus Christ. That your identity is not based on what other people say about you, including the devil, but it's based on what God says about you. You see, what the problem is, is that we believe everything that we think. We think if a thought comes into our mind, well, then it has to be true. We think it has to be true. Did you know that the word devil and the word Satan means liar and accuser? Did you know that that's what that means? The Bible says in Revelation that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And all those self-defeating thoughts that we allow into our mind. That's why Philippians says, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says that we should take every thought captive. Because Jesus knew, God knew that all of these thoughts were going to barrage us in the information age in which we live. And if we were not careful, if we were not guarding ourselves against this, that we would be overwhelmed by it and that we would be overcome by it and then we would identify ourselves by the very things that are not true. You see, you can't believe everything that you think. Everything that you think in your mind is not true. The average person has about 6,200 thoughts a day. So about 6,000 thoughts a day come across your mind. Now, you know, we're not going to get into what percentage are positive, what percentage are negative, because we're going to overcome that, right? But when we talk about the negative and, and the positive, that's a lot of thoughts. That's a lot of thoughts that take place. And what happens with a lot of those thoughts is they attempt to redefine truth. They attempt to redefine truth. There's a song, uh, uh, Matt Hammett sang this song. I can't remember, it was with... Uh, I can't remember the group he was with, but he talked about how late at night that he would stay up and replay the conversations in his mind from the day. There's a lot of people who deal with that, that you think back to conversations that you had and you think, well, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or I wish I'd have said that, or I shouldn't have done that, or I wish I'd have done that. There's a lot of people in the room shaking their head because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And that's that inner voice that is always critiquing everything that is happening in your life. You see, what our thoughts try to do is they redefine or they try to redefine the reality of who we are. Now, if you're not founded in Jesus Christ, if you don't remind yourself of the identity that you have in Jesus Christ, then you will be easily led astray into believing those things. Now, I just want to suggest to you, and this is not uh, exhaustive, but I want to suggest to you a few of the type of destructive thoughts that we often allow in our minds that people deal with in this very room. The first type of destructive thought here is absolute thoughts. It's absolute. So what do I mean by that? Well, there's no middle ground. Everybody hates me. No one loves me. I mess up all the time. 
right? It's an absolute. There's no middle ground that you're either terrible or you're fantastic, right? You're either the worst failure ever or you're, you did it perfect. You nailed it. And, and so what happens oftentimes with these destructive thoughts is that we'll, we'll have a self-condemning thought or we'll have a bad thought that takes place in our mind, and then instantly we take it to the absolute, we say, well, that's the, that, that totally defines that one mistake, that one thing that I did today, that one word that I said, that one thought that took place in my mind, that defines me. It's the absolute. And that's how the enemy works is he takes one mistake, he takes one sin, he takes one thought, and he says, well, that applies to absolutely everything in your life. Is that true for Peter? Of course it's not. Absolute. Number two is Well, destructive thought number two is defining thoughts. Well, that's the story of my life. I always make mistakes. I was just destined to mess up, right? Well, that's just who I am. It defines me. You've heard people say that. You may have even said it. Story of my life. That's just how things work out for me. And what we're doing is we're allowing those negative thoughts, those destructive thoughts to define everything. And so you're blanket applying that. Especially with kids, you should never define a life based on one situation. And if you, if you make that comment in front of kids or if you uh, allow that in your family, what you're doing is you're breeding discontent in your family and you're allowing them to have a built-in excuse that I failed but it doesn't matter because I just always mess up. No, you don't. God created you to be perfect and yet, because of sin, we're not. God's going to redeem you. I was talking to somebody the other day about the virus, and they were saying, well, you know, the virus this and the virus that. And I said, I want, you, I want to remind you of something. Humans were created to live forever. Think about it. Humans were created to live forever. The Bible says there is no weapon formed against me that will prosper. No weapon. All right, we're on the other side seemingly of this virus, and we may, you know, get to normal sometime soon, but it won't be that that defeats us, nor anything else that will defeat us. There's no weapon that is formed against me that will prosper. And so if we allow these thoughts to define our lives, then we can take one mistake or one negative thought, and we can say, well, that is who I am. And that is not true. I mean, we see things on the news all the time. Well, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? 35 years ago, he made a mistake, and he did something he shouldn't do, and he should be fired from his job today because of it. Well, what if we judged you on mistakes that you made 35 years ago, right? What if we judged you on mistakes that you made 35 minutes ago, right? Can I get an amen? That's for me, right? And so we can't allow these thoughts to define everything. Number three is self-accusing thoughts. Self-accusing thoughts. Every negative event is my fault. Everything that happens, well, Matt, that's because you're dumb. You shouldn't have done that. Or, Matt, that's because you, you always make mistakes, right? Oftentimes we'll tie them together. Well, that's the end of the world because you're always making terrible decisions. Look what you did now, Right? self-accusing, always looking down on ourselves and saying, well, God can't love that. How could God ever use you if you made that kind of mistake? Boy, I tell you what, if everybody knew what you just did, if everybody knew what you just said, self-accusing. Number four, perceptive, perceptive thoughts. We see everything negative. Hey, I just got a raise. Well, don't worry, taxes are about to go up, Right? And we see everything that we say is negative. Hey, I just bought a new house. Well, good luck paying for it. You know, right? Everything we see is negative. There's, I don't like being around negative people. I just want to tell you that. It drags me down. I got enough of my own negative thoughts. I don't need yours. Right? But it, what we, we do with perception is we, everything's negative. Everything's terrible. We're never going to get to do mission trips again. We're never going to get to leave the state of Mississippi. We're always going to have to wear a mask. I'm never going to get a raise at work. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to get to do great things. Right? It's just on and on. And we just, we apply it to everything. And we have this negative perception. Can I remind you that you serve the creator of the universe? The God who can do anything that he can take a woman who's never been with a man, and he can have a a miraculous virgin birth, right? And then all of a sudden we have this perfect human Jesus Christ who dies for the sin of the world, and then three days later he said, you know what, I'm done with this dead thing. I think I'm going to overcome it, right? 
We serve the creator of the universe who has no limits, who's not bound by time or space. And yet, in our perception, we say, well, there's just no way God can fix this one. Oh, yeah, you're the only one who's come up with something that God can't fix. Right? That just doesn't make any sense. But we do. Listen, we're all guilty of at least one of these. The last one is self-prophecy. Job said, the thing that I feared the most happened. We end up fulfilling our own negative thoughts. The thing that I feared the most happened. Oh, they're not answering their phone. There must have been a volcano eruption at their house, and now they're all in lava. Right? I mean, we think of the most absolute worst-case scenario, and then self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy. All these destructive thoughts that take place in our mind. Here's the good news tonight. Did you know that you can choose your thoughts? Did you know that? That you don't have to wade in the, uh, you know, the scum pond of negativity? That you can say, you know what? I'm not going to allow those thoughts to run my life. I'm not going to allow the inner voice to define who I am and what I can or cannot do. Because my God is bigger than that. So you can choose it. Nobody in the world can put a thought in your head without your permission. Somebody calls you up and says, hey, guess what, Bert? I think you do a terrible job at your workplace. And you say, thanks for the opinion, right? Okay. But what we do oftentimes is we say, oh, really? Well, why, why do you think that? Well, tell me more about how bad of a person I am, Right? We allow this in. No one can force you to think something that you don't want to think. The Bible, in many places, talks about us guarding our mind and renewing our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says to renew your mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says that we should uh, tear down the strongholds and take every thought captive. Philippians 4, 8 says that we should think on things that are pure and lovely. Philippians 2 says that we should have the mind of Christ. Right? The Bible talks in many, 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 many places that we ought to be defensive about the things that we allow in our mind. Now, we could spend a long time talking about this tonight, but we're not. But that includes music that you listen to. What garbage are you allowing into your ear? Television shows that you watch. What garbage are you allowing into your ear? I like that show. Well, I'm in the third season. Well, if it's bad for you, it doesn't matter. Right? We can't allow those things. Negative people. Guess what you have to do? You have to put a fence up and say, this is the no negativity zone. And if you get in here with negativity, you will be removed from the property. Right? That's what you have to do. There's people that are not in my life because they're negative and I don't want to be around them. And so I put up a fence. And if I could still hear them over the fence, I kept putting up fences until I couldn't hear them anymore. You have to do the same thing in your own life. That you have to protect the things that come into your mind. The very first thing that happens in my life every single day is I read Scripture. The very first thing. I'm not looking at news. I I definitely am not turning on the television. I'm not looking at my phone. I'm not reading a text message. The very first thought that goes into my mind from reading is Scripture every single morning. I choose to infiltrate my day with God's Word every single day. That's what should happen in your life. Every single day, you need to start with, what does God's Word say? Not with, how bad is the weather outside today? Not, how bad is the news today? Not, this is what I've got to do today. None of those things. I don't look at my schedule. The very first thing I look at is God's Word. Because when you allow, you determine what comes into your mind. You're listening to country music and everybody's getting a divorce and everybody's dog died and everybody stole his truck or whatever. All those things. Guess what's happening? You're starting to think, well, you know, what if I stole somebody's truck? That'd be fun. Well, no, then I'd go to jail. That wouldn't work out, right? Or you listen to some other crazy music or, or movies. You know, we watched the other night. We, I'm be, I'll be transparent for a second. We watched Dateline the other night and I got so worked up I thought, if that ever happened in my life, I would just want three minutes in an octagon cage with that guy. And it's 10.30 at night, and I'm all bent out of shape because this happened on Dateline. I told Melanie, my wife, I said, we we can't watch Dateline anymore. It makes me mad. Right? But we allow these things into our mind, and then all of a sudden, it determines our attitude and the things that we say and the way that we act. 
You see, the battle for our minds that is raging on, the battle for our hearts that is raging begins in our minds. There's a battle for your affection. The devil wants you to have affection for the things of the world. And God wants you to have affection for the things of God. And it starts up here. It starts in our mind. Because when we start thinking about things, we start attaching things to them. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Every one of us could say amen to that. This is the same chapter where Paul says, I don't do what I want to do. Same chapter. So there's this war that's taking place in your heart and mine and in my heart and mine. And it is waging war against the law of my mind. It's waging war against the law of your mind. And here's why it is so important. Because whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever gets your mind gets you. Whatever you commit thought to. Whatever you give birth to thought in your mind, you're going to figure out a way to make it happen. You're going to figure out a way to make it happen. Whether you're going to convince yourself that it's something that you deserve or that you need or that you want or that it's comfort. We were studying, uh, you know, in D group with the Israelites and they said, didn't we tell you, Moses, that we would like to be eating pots full of meat and be murdered in Egypt? Then you to drag us out here and die in the desert? Do you understand the illogical thought process that it takes to get to that point? God, I know you rescued us in the Red Sea, and we saw the chariots flip upside down. God, we saw you destroy that army. God, I know every single day that you provided manna for us, but we're just really thirsty, right? It's the same way with us, that we allow something in our mind, and we convince ourselves of it, and then all of a sudden we're justified, and we think we should have it. You see, each and every day, we have these directives, these voices in our minds that influence our thoughts, and they help to shape our identity. They, they determine the direction of your day, and oftentimes the direction of your life. You see, we're a world of voices. And these voices tell us who we are. They tell us how to move. They tell us how to be. And a lot of that comes, really all of it, comes from outside influence into our minds and into our hearts. Some of these voices are barely audible, faint in the distance. They whisper in our guts all of the time, almost out of earshot, but they are there making all kinds of suggestions of the things that we should do or the person that we should become or the things that we should have done. These voices in our minds and our hearts come from a combination of our family history, our failures, and all the things that have happened to us. You see, we can all look back at our family history and we could say, you know what, I wish that hadn't have happened. You know what, I wish that would have happened. And a lot of times we allow, well, my grandpa was always this way, and I was always this way, and his dad was always this way, and that's just how we are. That's those destructive thoughts. You don't have to abide by the generational curses that took place in generations prior to you. But yet we allow family history to define us. Well, you know, Davis says they, they never were good at this, or they never were good at that. I remember... Uh, there was a, I was in elementary school, and a friend came over to the house, and uh, he was running through the living room, and uh, he tripped, and he fell. And I'll use my last name as his last name, but he says, That's, it's the Davis knee. That's just how it is. I'm like, you're in sixth grade. There's nothing wrong with your knees, right? But family history, we just, and that's just an example of something silly. But, you know, here we are, and we, we look back and we say, well, you know, that was how my dad always was. He was always an alcoholic, so I just have an addictive personality. Really? You're created in the image of God, and yet you're going to define who God created you as? That he said, well, I messed up or made a mistake on this one, so let's just duplicate that problem. That's not how God works. Our failures, we look back at our failures, the mistakes that we made, and we say, well, I made all these mistakes in my life, and so because of these mistakes, they're going to haunt me the rest of my life. Is that true? 
It, it, didn't we just talk about there's nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ? Didn't we say in Romans 8, 1, that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? Doesn't Psalms say that your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west? Doesn't the Bible say that our sins are washed white as snow? Isn't that what forgiveness is? And yet we define our failures and we allow them to give an identity to the present me. You see, many people are suffocating on the inner monologue that ascribes their value. So the conversations that are taking place in your mind, you are allowing them to tell you how valuable you are or are not. What happens is oftentimes these voices make things seem better than they really are. Ever happened to you? Something good happened in your life? And you inflated it in your mind to make it way bigger and better than it really was. Right? You try to take a $1,000 bonus check and buy a new truck with it. And you thought, no, that was a bad idea. Right? You try to make it way better than it really was. You know, the other side of that is oftentimes we allow these voices to cause things to appear worse than they really are. Well, there's no way I'll get out of this one. Well, there's no way this will ever be fixed. No way, no way, no way. You see, the problem that we run into, and here's where we're going to get to the meat of tonight. The problem that we run into as believers is how do I differentiate between what I hear? Right? That'd be a question I'd want to know the answer to. As I'm preparing for tonight, well, how do I know the difference? You know, I'm not crazy, Pastor Matt, but I get what you're saying. I, I hear those things. I tell myself those things sometimes. But how do I know if it's not my own sinfulness? How do I know if it's God? What if it is him? What if he is telling me that I'm doing this or I'm not doing that? Those are good questions, right? Well, let's answer it. Okay? This is what the Bible says. We need to differentiate between the voice of God and the voice in my head. Here's how we're going to do it. This is what the Bible says. This is in uh, Acts. I'm not sure if it's on your handout. Let's read it. It says, An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Acts chapter 8, Rise and go to the north, uh, towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Very specific, by the way. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, verse 29, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is Acts chapter 8. If it's not on your handout, write it down and go back and read it. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 31. So how do we differentiate between the voice of God and the voice of my own head? We're about to answer the question. First of all, God speaks through his spirit. We were in Brazil one time. I've shared this story. Uh, we were leaving the uh, uh, hotel area, and we were standing out front waiting for the bus to leave, and across the dirt area road was a, a store and there was a man there the door was open and he had a bible out and he's reading the bible and I thought to myself this is Acts chapter 8 so I walked across the road and I asked the very same thing that Philip asked I said do you understand what you're reading and he said I have no idea what I'm reading and so I said, well, great. And so, you know, we had a translator. And so uh, we, <clears throat> I got the Bible, you know, to see what he was reading. And I began to share with him the gospel. And guess what happened? Does anybody want to guess? He got saved. You see, the Spirit of God used circumstances to say, Matt, there's a guy across the road just like Philip. And he's opening the Bible. You know, there's none who seeks after God. No, not one. And so God is clearly drawing him. And so God speaks to us through His Spirit, through His Spirit. It is the inner voice of God that is a part of our lives in Jesus Christ. So if you're here tonight and you are saved, what happened when you got saved is God the Father placed God the Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit is now resident in your life, okay? 
The Holy Spirit is now resident in your life. And just for clarity, where the Holy Spirit of God is, the enemy does not reside. I just want you to know that. Okay? And so where the Spirit of God is, God is residing inside of you as a child of God. Which means, just like Romans chapter 8 talks about, the things that you don't know you need to pray, the Spirit of God prays those things for you. The Spirit of God is interceding for you, and He is guiding you, and He is leading you. So if you're saved here tonight, you have the Spirit of God inside of you, and that Spirit will guide you. How does the Spirit of God guide you? Does He rent a billboard on 49 or I-10 and say, Matt, this is the Spirit of God. Here's what you shall do today. No, He does not. He prompts me. He prompts you in your life to do things just like he prompted me to look, to go across the road and have a conversation. It happens all the time in my life. If you're a child of God, it happens in your life, or at least it should. You need to be listening to it. The Spirit of God is what leads you. This is what the Bible says. We just studied this uh, two weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things God has revealed to us. How did he do it? Through his Spirit. God could write it in the clouds, but he doesn't. God could send you an email, but he doesn't. What does God do? God speaks to us through the Spirit of God, through the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us through the Spirit of God. Okay, that's how God speaks. So we're going to learn how to differentiate in just a second. So number one, God speaks through the Spirit. Number two, not every voice... Number two, not every voice that we hear inside of our head is the voice of God. So tomorrow, if you wake up and you hear a crazy voice tell you to do something, you've got to measure that, okay? We're going to learn how to measure it in just a second. But not every voice that you hear inside of your head is the Spirit of God. It frustrates me, I'm going to be honest with you, it frustrates me sometimes when people do selfish things and they say, God told me to do it. What I want to say is, no, he didn't, but I'm nice, and I don't, and I'll just let you figure that out. There's been many times in my life where God has prompted me to move or to go somewhere or to do something or to change course or to speak to someone or to call someone. It happens very frequently. It is because that is how God communicates to us. And so if you say, God, what is it you want me to do in my life? He is not going to write it on the wall. He can. I didn't say he couldn't. I said he's probably not. What he's going to do is he's going to communicate to you through the means in which he's already established, which is his spirit. Okay? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So how do we tell the difference between God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the other voices in my mind? It's a great question, and we need to know the answer to this. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask ourselves a few qualifying questions, all right? We're going to ask ourselves a couple of questions to help us to determine. Now, this will be very, very, very helpful for you to determine whether or not God is speaking to you or you are hearing an inner voice. So we're going to ask a few questions. Number one, what is this voice saying? Very simple. We're not translating it. We're not, uh, you know, explaining it. We're just defining it. Okay, what is the voice saying to me? So if I wake up tomorrow morning and there's a voice in my head that says, you need to abandon everybody that you know and you need to move to another state. Does that sound like something that God would tell me to do? We're not going to define it. No, it doesn't. It totally doesn't sound like something God would say. But we, we just need to ask the question, what is the voice saying to me? What is the voice telling me to do? Okay. Number two. What does this cause me to do? What does this cause me to do? The voice is telling me one thing. What is it causing me to do? You, you hear people say, uh, you know, a, a husband, a man, I was offered a job. Oh, okay, well, great. Yeah, I, I really like to take this job. Um, it pays me more money. Oh, well, that's good. That's a blessing. Yeah, now I won't be able to come to church on Sundays, but I really feel like God wants me to take this. Well, I don't. Right? I mean, there's a lot of simple ways to answer questions. What is the voice saying? 
Hey, you should take this job that pulls you away from, you should move. This has happened several times in the last four or five years. People say, hey, there's this job opportunity and uh, we're going to have to move out of state and we really won't be able to go to church because I'll be working seven days a week, but I really think God wants me to do this. You really think God would tell you to do that? Because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling together of others. What is this voice saying? What does it cause me to do? Number two. Number three, how does this cause me to feel? How does this cause me to feel? And we're going to explain that in just a second. How does this cause me to feel? So, number one, what is the voice saying to me? Number two, what does this cause me to do? And number three, how does this cause me to feel? All right, we got those questions. So here's the difference. The difference is going to be in the negative, not in the positive. The voice is going to be in the negative. The difference will be in the negative, not in the positive. What do I mean by that? We don't have to wonder who is speaking when we hear the inner voice tell us that God loves us. Right? The enemy is not going to tell me that God loves me. He wants to convince me that God is withholding something from me. Right, Adam and Eve? And so he's not going to tell me that God loves me. He's going to convince me of something other than the fact that God loves me. You see, oftentimes, this was something that uh, God showed me, I guess you would say, here a few weeks ago. Oftentimes in our walk with God, we want to define God by what we do to and for God, right? We say, God loved me, and so I've got to love him, and I'm going to show that I love him by the things that I do. We're all guilty of that. But what if you see it from another perspective? And this helped me so much with legalism. So if we say, it is not that I do because I love God, but it is that God loves me. It's a paradigm shift. If I focus on God loving me instead of the fact that I love God and so I'm doing things for God, guess what? I have removed all obligation for myself because he did it all anyway. And so if I focus on the fact that simply God loves me and it's not predicated on anything that I do or don't do, it's just that God loves me. Then my focus is not on myself, it's on God. You see, the enemy's not going to tell you that God loves you because he doesn't want you to know that and he certainly doesn't want you to live that. We don't have to wonder if it's the voice of God or not when we feel prompted to share the word of God. I'm standing in Brazil, 5,000 miles away from home, and I look across the road and I see someone open a Bible and the devil says, you need to go tell him about Jesus. No, of course not. You see what I'm saying? You see where we're getting the, the positive instead of the negative? I'm not, the enemy is not going to encourage me to encourage someone. He's not going to encourage me to serve someone, right? He's not going to do that. He's going to want me to seek comfort. He's going to want me to say, if I was in Egypt, I'd have a lot of meat and I'd be fat and I'd be dead, right? That's what he wants me to believe about myself. And it's going to be negative. And so it's simply separating, this is important right here, conviction from condemnation. And I'm going to help you separate it. It is separating conviction from condemnation. Does God convict us of the things that we do wrong? Of course he does. How does he do that? Through the Spirit. Does he condemn us for the things that we've done wrong? Oh, no, no, no. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. So it's separating conviction from condemnation. So here we're going to define it. Here's how we're going to do it. Conviction should lead us to forgiveness. Conviction should lead us to forgiveness. So I make a mistake and I sin. And you sin. We all do it every single day. All day long we make mistakes. And conviction is, Matt, you shouldn't have said that. Matt, you shouldn't have done that. And so what do I need to do? I need to repent. I need to confess. And I need to repent. I I need to turn from that. And guess what I find when I confess and repent? Forgiveness. Right? Because the Bible says God makes his mercies new every day. That there, uh, there, if we confess our sins, that he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so if I'm convicted of something that I've done wrong, and I am often convicted of the things that I do wrong, and you should be as well, then what we do is that our response to that is, God, you're right. I, I made the mistake. God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me for that. And guess what I find? Forgiveness. Because Jesus is what? Full of grace 
and truth. That I realized that I did make the mistake. That I did fail my Savior. But there's still love and mercy that extends and grace to the sinner. So what happens is conviction will lead me to Jesus. That I realize I can't measure up. That I failed in trying to do what was right. And so I have to run to the cross because that's where forgiveness is found. But yet condemnation says, well, that was a bad move there, buddy. Guess what's going to happen now? Everybody's going to find out about it. You're going to do this, or this is going to happen, or that's going to happen. And, and it's just Katie bar the door, right? Condemnation leads to despair because there's no hope with condemnation. You see, the voices that we're hearing in our mind often and in our thoughts are telling us that we can't or we didn't do, that we don't measure up, that we fail, that we'll never be good enough. Think about what happened with Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus shows up. The disciples have gone to get something to eat. You know the story. And Jesus has a conversation with her, and this is what he said. He said, call your husband. And she says, I don't have one. And Jesus said, you're right. You're a terrible adulterer, and you'll never have a good relationship, and I don't even know why we're talking. That is not what he said. You know what he said? Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, and the one that you are living with now is not your husband. In other words, ma'am, I know everything about you, and I'm still having a conversation with you. And what does the Bible say that she does? In spite of all of the infidelity in her life, in spite of all the failed marriages, in spite of all of the things that she had done in her life, what did she find? She didn't find condemnation in Jesus. She found forgiveness. So much so that she ran to the city and had credibility with the people in the city because they came back to see a man who told me what? Everything I had ever done. She proclaimed the forgiveness of Jesus in the city that if God can save me, he can save anybody. Right? She found forgiveness. She didn't find condemnation. How about the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 7 and John chapter 8. Here's a lady who made a mistake, did something she shouldn't have done. We'll all agree with that. So the Pharisees brought her up and said, look at here, Jesus. Look at this wretched sinner. This is what the Bible says, John chapter 8, verse 9. When they, Jesus said, okay, all right, so you guys are right. She made a mistake. Here's what we're going to do. I want perfect people to throw the stones first. Y'all line up, and you without sin cast the first stone. That's what I want you to do. And the Bible says one by one, when they heard it, they uh, went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone and the woman standing before him. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? This is just what we're talking about right here. He says, who are your condemners? So he separated condemnation from himself. He says, where are those who condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said this. This is good. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, sin no more. What did she find? She found forgiveness. In spite of her sin, in spite of her failure, when my mind tells me I'm not good enough, Jesus, you're enough for me. Right? Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? So the difference in conviction and condemnation is that conviction is going to lead you to Jesus. That voice in your mind that says, hey, you made a mistake. You messed this up. You did the wrong thing. And conviction says, and in spite of that, there is forgiveness found at the cross that I don't measure up. That there are none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It is not a crutch for me. It is the reason that I need the gospel. So here's the important differentiator for you tonight. This is very important. When the enemy speaks... He speaks in first person. Thoughts come to your mind? This is what you say. This is from the enemy. No one loves 
me. That is not from God. No one loves me. I want to die. I am not good enough. I hate this person. Why? The enemy speaks in first person. And then what happens is, since they're first person, then we begin to think, well, this must be my thoughts because it's about me. You see, the enemy's thoughts are always accusing. They're always pressuring. They're always expressing anger. They're always expressing hate and destruction. Such thoughts are not from the Spirit of God. (coughs) So when the enemy speaks, he speaks in first person. Well, how does God speak? Well, when God speaks, his voice will always point us to him, not to reflect on our insufficiencies. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But he said to me, Paul talking, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will more gladly boast of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, when God speaks, his voice is reassuring. It brings comfort. It brings joy. It gives us hope. It expresses love. That's what the voice of God does. And so this is where where we're going to spend the next several weeks. In John 8, 31, the Bible says, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the reality is, a lot of people are in bondage. A lot of people are in bondage. They're not free primarily beginning with the thoughts that take place in their own mind. They're not free from that. And so you're either stuck in neutral or you're backing up because all of these thoughts constantly barrage you and immobilize you from moving forward with who God wants you to be. You see, many people struggle with this reality and are in desperate need of freedom. And so the question that we're going to answer over the next several weeks is free from what? What is Jesus talking about here? When he says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, free from what? Free from sin? Does that mean I'm going to be perfect when I know the truth? Well, no, it can't be that because I'm still here and I'm not perfect. Okay, well, uh, the truth will set me free. Free from what? Free from guilt? What Jesus is telling here is that it's possible to be free from the burden of perfection. It's to be free from the burden of perfection. That in spite of your failures, that you don't measure up. And that's why there's forgiveness. That's why there's a Savior. That's why there was a need for the Savior. That's the beauty of the gospel, that in spite of myself, God still loves me. That in spite of myself, God still has a relationship with me. You see, we'll discover in our study that there are internal voices and there are external voices and even my own voice in my head. We've got outside influences we're going to talk about those. we got inside influences, and they're really all the same. We're going to identify those. We're going to call them out. We're going to help you work through those. These internal voices, they evaluate ourselves. They evaluate ourselves and others, and they confer moral judgments on everything around us. See, these internal voices, they look both within and without, and they say, well, that was wrong, and that was wrong, and that was wrong, and then they give judgment to all of those things. Well, you're not good enough. Well, that person's not good enough. It manifests itself, and we'll get into this in a few weeks. It manifests itself through pride. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. Or self-pleasing. You know, trying to be a people pleaser and doing whatever you think I ought to do and doing whatever you think I ought to say. And so these voices cause me to become the image of who you think I ought to be. These voices cause doubt in ourselves or judgment and resentment towards others. So if you've ever experienced doubt in yourself, if you've ever experienced resentment towards someone else, if you think that you have to be a people pleaser, well then stay tuned. That's the internal voices. These external voices that affect us, they tend to occur from events, of course, that happen outside of us, often from things that we can't control. Family history. Events that happen in our life that we have no uh, control over. And yet we allow those influences to take place in our lives. And these things are things that we don't have any control over. But yet they control us. 
And so what we're going to do in this study is we're going to talk about things that we're not free from that we need to get free from. Amen? You see, in John 8, 36, Jesus said just a few verses later, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. And that's what we all desire, right? It's to be free indeed. So I want to give you a few takeaways. We've got a couple minutes left tonight. I want to give you just a few takeaways. So over the next, I know uh, as we get into this, you know, we want to be slow and intentional about what we talk about uh, because we want to make sure that we cover it. Okay, and so over the next few weeks as we talk about this, uh, here's what I want you to begin to do tonight. So what can you do tonight to prepare over the next several weeks? Well, the first thing I want you to do is take inventory. Take inventory. What does that mean? I want you to start identifying what are you thinking? What is the voice telling you? Maybe you want to start writing it down. I don't know. Note to self, I am not good enough. I told myself today I made a mistake. I'm being facetious. Right? You need to take inventory. What is the voice saying? What is the most dominant voice in your mind? And what is that voice telling you? You need to identify that. So take inventory of what's happening in your mind. Number two, not everything that you think is true. So whatever you think over the next few weeks... It doesn't make, make it true. So just we're just writing it down. Oh, okay, well, I should have done that. Oh, that's a good thought. I'll write that down. Oh, I, I made a mistake. Oh, I think I'll write that down. Right? And so what we're doing, we're just taking inventory. We're not disagreeing with it. We're not agreeing with it. We're just saying, okay, here's what the voice is saying. Here's what the most dominant voices in my mind are. And not all of it's true. So we're reminding ourselves that, okay, everything that we're going to go through doesn't mean it's true. I just need to be able able to identify it. Number three, behavioral scientists say that self-defeating thoughts like good thoughts are learned and developed over time. So the good news for us tonight is self-defeating thoughts can surely be unlearned. You may say, you know what, I've, I've always dealt with this. It's just part of my life. That's a destructive thought. If the sun sets you free, you're free mostly. No, indeed, not mostly, indeed, right? So we're going to talk about that. So you can have an un, you can unlearn all of the things that may have happened in your previous uh, family history or failures or whatever may have taken place. It can be unlearned. And last but not least, and what I want to leave you with as a positive thought tonight is this. I want you to believe that freedom is possible. Because the Bible says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Which means it's possible. Mary said, with Jesus, all things are possible. And so as we get into this study, again, I just want you to be aware of what's taking place. Aware, of more conscious of the things that are happening in your mind. And go back and look over this about the differentiator between the voice of the enemy and the voice of God. That's going to be very helpful for you to decide, is this the Spirit of God leading me? Or is this my own self-thoughts? Or is this the enemy trying to distract me? Amen? Well, let's pray and we'll be dismissed. God, we love you tonight. God, we are so grateful for the fact that you gave us the